Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're thankful that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Um, something that I believe in in our community is it's all about the conversation. It's all about hearing from one another. I know if you're an extrovert, you're loving conversation time and us sitting you out into Zoom. If you are an introvert, this is usually a wonderful opportunity for you to go grab some pancakes or utilize the restroom. I would say wherever you are, whoever you are, uh, jump into a conversation if you can. You can click on the Connect With Us tab that's um, on your, whatever that thing is called, a screen, um, or there's a Zoom link for you to jump into, and we're going to be answering this question with one another today. Uh, where in your life are you longing for honesty? That question is, again, where are you longing for honesty? A nice, light question to get you started on a Sunday morning. Enjoy. We are wrapping up our series in the Psalms, and you may have noticed what we've been doing. We've been trying to have uh, different people within our community and each of our pastors share a Psalm that was specific to them. And for us, it's just an opportunity to reflect upon the diversity of these beautiful words and the diversity of people that we have um, within New Abbey. And so today is no different. We're going to do a little joint sermon with our newest pastor, the one, the only, Laura Browder, everybody. <laughs> Arsenio Hall, is that what we're doing there? I just wore black today because I wanted to be just like Corey. I know, right? We Come both, uh, which is really funny that we both were, I, I have like a tendency to do this, whoever I'm preaching with. Whenever I would preach with Brittany back in the day, people would always be like, you dress just like a lesbian, Corey. And so it was perfect. Yeah, so it's uh, nothing, nothing has changed in my life, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, me and my family went to Arizona for a couple days, and we were going to a wedding, and uh, we were in uh, the great, interesting state of Arizona. And at this wedding, uh, there was another pastor who was officiating the wedding, and he was an older gentleman. And... I sat there just wondering what was happening to my life listening to this. Um, and I don't know about you, but I grew up in a world, even a little bit of what Phil was talking about, where I'm uncomfortable with the church, to be honest. I'm uncomfortable with other pastors a lot of times. Uh, for the longest time, if I was on an airplane and somebody asked me what I did, I'd be like, I'm a life coach. Uh, because there's just no good answer when you tell somebody you're a pastor. Either you're going to get the person who literally just told me about the most horrific things that they did on a Friday night, and now I tell them I'm a pastor, and they're like, well, I mean, like, I don't normally do that, but yeah, like, that's all right, man. I'm not judging you. Um, or I have the person on the opposite side of things, like a fundamentalist who just wants to, like, dive deep into Isaiah right now or something like that. And to be honest, I don't got time for either, so I'm a life coach when I sit on an airplane. But I'm sitting through this Arizona wedding. Um, if this sounds judgmental, it's because it is. Um, and it was, honestly, it was painful for me to sit through. And my kids are there. And so my oldest kid, Caden, seven, we get home that night and we're at the hotel. And he says, Dad, I didn't understand anything that that pastor was saying. And I said, Caden, neither did I. So... <laughs> Uh, we're both in the same boat. He's like, okay, well, what was he talking about? I'm like, I honestly couldn't tell you. So it's uncomfortable for me at times to be in a world of church because for me, it doesn't feel like people get to be normal. 
what it feels like in those moments, why I think it was confusing for my seven-year-old, is that people are speaking a different language. They're living in a different culture. They're, they're talking about God or humanity in a way so differently than the actual human experience. And I remember for me, there became a point in time in life when I was a pastor at another church where I realized this isn't the type of human being that I want to be. I remember being at this men's retreat 10 years ago at another church, and it's me and a bunch of dudes, and they're like smoking cigars, having a drink, playing poker, and the senior pastor walks in the room, and everybody kind of like slides their drink to the side, pretends like the other guy's smoking a cigar, and then all of a sudden, everybody starts to sound like the Apostle Paul. I'm like, this is really a weird shift in the room energy right now. And thinking to myself, that's never who I want to be. This doesn't make somebody closer to God. What it teaches them is that there's like your regular life, and then there's the part that you need to show up and look a certain way for the pastor or for God, and that was confusing. I remember being a young pastor and being told, you can have a beer at home, just never have one in a public restaurant. I'm like, do you apply that same logic to everything else? Do things in secret, just don't do them in public, and it's going to be a good ministry life for you. It was incredibly odd for me. And the commitment for me at New Abbey was, how can people just be normal, whatever that is for you? How can you just show up as you are? How can you just be the person that you want to be? How can you be more human? How can you be more authentic? How can you be more vulnerable? And that you do that when you just get to be honest about the type of human being that you are, because I think what happens over time, is that when we start to live these juxtaposed lives, then we start to actually bring that into our relationship with God. And so we approach God or have conversation with God in such an other way that there's a distance that's created within us. And there's no relationship in your life that you would want that type of image where you're one person in secret, but then in public to the person that you love the most, you're somebody completely different. There's an inauthenticity. There is a disgenuous component of that that I don't think that people actually want. And so I remember when I started New Abbey, it's week three, it's a mega church at this point, there's 13 people in my living room, really had to bring out a couple extra chairs because the couches couldn't handle the massive crowds that day. And it was the first time ever that I shared the story that I was unfaithful to my wife six years before that moment um, when I was a 22-year-old young guy. And I remember sharing the story that I was a year into my marriage and I was trying to press eject on my life, that I was what I didn't know at the time, language that I got later, that I dealt with sexual addiction, that I grew up in an evangelical world in which the body was bad and the soul was good in which anything about my sexuality was bad, and I was a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This is who I was at church, and this is who I was behind the scenes. And I thought to myself that if I get married young enough and I do all the things that God says, then these things are just gonna be magically taken away from me, and I will be whole and healthy. But the pixie dust didn't work. I found myself a year into marriage struggling with my same demons, the same things were going on in my life, and now I found myself doing something that for me was completely inexcusable and painful and had nothing to do with my wife. I had everything to do with my own wounds and my own pain. And then three months after that, a church hired me. 
I was completely honest with them about everything that I had done, about where I was at, and they told me, we want to go through a restoration process with you, which they didn't do because I don't think they, they knew how to do it. I don't blame them at all for that. Um, but it was just basically a period of don't do anything bad, whatever that means for a year, and then you can preach. And I was like, okay. And for me, it was an incredible opportunity of grace. I never thought that I would have the opportunity to be a pastor again, but I was also told in that moment, and you'll never share that story. That's something that happened, and now you keep that hidden, and you keep that secret, and those are things that happened back there, but now you're a pastor and you don't talk about those things. And I remember in that moment, that's not what I want for anybody. That's not how I want to approach God. That's not how I want people to live their lives in the church. And so when New Abbey started that third week, I shared the story with that massive crowd, and I remember that moment of people literally being shocked. People who had known me for a long time and thinking in that moment, this is what this community is going to be about. It's going to be about honesty. It's going to be about self-disclosure. It's going to be about vulnerability. It's going to be about telling what's really going on in your life, even if it's not all tied up with a bow. It was in that moment that for the next year and a half, I went through some of the deepest depression of my life, that I finally got a therapist, that I finally did the work around sex addiction, because there I had nowhere else to run to. And it was all because I had a moment of authenticity where I said, what kind of human being do I want to be? Do I want to be one that lives a certain life in private and a different life in public? Or do I want to be an integrated, whole, healthy human being every day of my life, which is not perfection, by the way. This is not a story of being some perfect image. This is what I just get to share where I'm at, when I'm at it, because I need other people to participate with me. And it's in that that I'll find healing. It's in that that I'll find transformation. And it's in that that I'll finally have maturity. And what I'm grateful for at New Abbey is week after week after week, many years later after that, I see people get up on this stage, share their story, and there's a space to be authentic. That there's nothing that you have to hide from God. And so if we're going to talk about authenticity, we got to talk about some things. We're going to talk about being more human. Where did you learn that from? And then, of course, WTF, which stands for exactly what you think it does. What the fuck? What's true? And if we can talk about what's true, then we're going to talk about Psalm 22. And if we can talk about Psalm 22, then we'll talk about what it really means to be human at times when we're pissed off or we're really sad or angry, when we're hurt. And eventually, how do we find some security again? And then if we can do that, then we got to talk about some resurrection, my friends. And so people will ask me all the time, Corey, what was your journey like when you eventually became more inclusive or you became more affirming or more progressive in things? Where did you learn that from? And for me, it was God. <laughs> uh, I read the Bible. I looked at Christian tradition. I looked at the life of Jesus. And honestly, the more that I did that, the more I realized we are offering some weird version of what it means to be Christian that feels very different than the life of Jesus. That when I look at the life of Jesus, I see this endlessly inclusive God who is always making a path for every single being to be the more, for every single person to be the best human being that they possibly can, to be an honest human being for who they are. And so much in the world of church, we're trying to create a perfect version of God, and we create such a perfect version of God that there's no messiness. There's no rough edges to it. Everything that we've tied up with the perfect bow, that it leaves no room for the complexity of our own humanity. 
And so the more that I looked at the life of Jesus, the more that I invested into Christian tradition, the more I realized Jesus didn't come to teach us a perfect version about God. Jesus came to allow us to be comfortable and to accept the messiness of our humanity, that God is found in our complexity, that God is found in our journey, that God is found in the figuring it out of what it means to be human each day, not in some weird version where it's just all about saying some magical words so that you can go to some pearly gates one day, that there was nothing in the life of Jesus that told that story, and yet I was told that was the story. And the more that I got into the life of Jesus, the more I realized that God welcomes my humanity. And if God can welcome my humanity, then God welcomes all of our humanity. And one of the verses that came alive for me in this moment was what I would say is the WTF passage of the Bible. And it's this in Matthew where Jesus is on the cross. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all of the land, which is a poetic way of saying this was the bleakest time. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, limisabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was a passage that I had heard a hundred different times, generally around Easter, and we always tried cleaning it up in some way. And then finally, there was a moment where I realized Jesus is the human one. Jesus is showing us the path of how we can actually be human. And how we're actually human is when we get to participate in honesty and vulnerability and authenticity. This is a moment where Jesus is authentic where even Jesus on a cross is looking to the heavens, looking to God, saying, what the fuck, why am I here? And how many of us have been in that moment? How many of us have been in a moment where we didn't have some clean, beautiful prayer to say, but where we were curled up in a ball on the floor or thought that the world is going to end and I will never make it out of this. And even when you wanted to look to God, you had nothing. How raw is that? How beautiful is that? How needed is that in our human experience? And that Jesus gave us that gift. And how dare we try to clean it up? Because we need those raw emotions at times as well. We need that authenticity with God. That when we can live into that authenticity, I think it develops for us a deeper sense of our relationship to God and a deeper sense to our relationship with other human beings. It's in that moment when I allowed that passage to be raw that I got to move deeper into how I understood Jesus, that if it's true of Jesus, it's true of me. If Jesus can surrender in suffering, if Jesus can be authentic, if Jesus can be vulnerable, then I can be vulnerable. Then I can be authentic. Then I can share my deepest, darkest secrets with God and I don't have to hide anything. And how beautiful and powerful was that for me? As one of the great prophetesses of the scripture says, Brene Brown, I love this beautiful quote. Says, caution, if you trade in your authenticity for being liked, you may experience the following. Anxiety, depression, addiction, rage, blame, resentment, and inexplicable grief. And how many of us had to grow up with a religion or a God in which we were taught to practice inauthenticity? And because we couldn't be authentic, we had nowhere else to go in our deepest, darkest wounds and scariest times. And we were left with resentment and grief and depression and in our addictions and in our pain and in our hurt, we felt like we had nowhere to go. And eventually we felt like the church isn't a place for me. And if the church isn't a place for me, 
What if God isn't for me? And what if we've been telling bad news the whole time when right there within our very own scriptures is the good news that you can be fully authentic, fully known, fully seen, and that God can handle the biggest diversity and pain that you could offer. And what I love about the scriptures is that these stories just aren't found in the life of Jesus. They're found in the messiness and the complexity of all of the scriptures. And as Laura will break down Psalm 22 for us today, it's the same story of David, this king, this golden child, this man after God's own heart, who has beautiful moments, who is called by God, anointed by God, and has moments of extreme brokenness and pain. And it's not for us to clean up the stories. It's for us to embrace them. It's for us to say, these stories have lasted thousands of years because this is the human experience. And the human experience is one that should be lived authentically. Well, that was a great introduction. Thanks, Corey. I'm kidding. First off, I just want to say I'm just so honored to be here. I am so grateful for this community. It's just a privilege to come every Sunday and meet the most incredible people in Los Angeles to be able to have Corey as our leader. So I think we should just give him a big round of applause because I think we're just so blessed to be able to come to New Abbey. All right. No more, no more of that. We got all that out of the way. All right. So I know I've said this before. So I'm a volleyball coach and I love my job. And, you know, when we go and play games, you travel, you get on a bus, you play, and then you come back. So my favorite thing when we go on away games is after the game is over, is I ask my kids, okay, guys, where do you guys want to get, where do you want to get food? Where do you want to eat? Now, 99.9% .9 of the time, they're going to say in and out And I know they're going to say in and out And so I could easily just be like, all right, we're going to go to in and out and then we're going to go. But every time, I would always ask them, because as a coach, I'm passionate about trying to grow and develop maturation within my kids. So I always tell my kids, where do you guys want to eat? They all look at me like I'm crazy, and I'm like, use your words, figure it out. Where do you want to go? What do you want? And the next five minutes always begins to unravel this slew of insecurity. You see the girls look at each other. No one's afraid to share what they actually want because they're maybe afraid that people aren't going to like what they want or they don't want to be seen as uncool or what if other people don't approve and they all just look at each other until finally one kid musters up enough courage to go, can we go to In-N-Out? And I'm like, of course, let's get on the bus. And I know right now as an adult, I can sit here and poo-poo on my kids for being so trivial about their insecurities. But if you think about it, the same insecurities that my 16-year-olds face when trying to communicate what they want to eat are the same insecurities that I feel as an adult. And that's fear of rejection, fear of disapproval, fear of other people's approval, feeling that I might be seen as weak or uncool. And as I was beginning to think about these things that cause us to hide, to mask, to, to not be authentic, as Corey's been talking about, I wanted to talk about the idea of being vulnerable. So vulnerable is a tricky thing. We kind of have a love-hate relationship with it because we all desire intimacy, love, and connection. And yet, we are so terrified to be vulnerable. And yet, it's through vulnerability that we find intimacy, love, and connection. And so th this week, whenever I was figuring out which psalm I wanted to pick, I wanted to read from Psalm 22. Uh, because like Corey mentioned, it's about David, and he's incredibly vulnerable. So we're going to read on the screen. I'm going to read right here. Starting in verse 1, David says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. So I sit here and I look at David and he's saying, God, why have you forsaken me? I'm going to translate that for you. David was pissed off. 
all right? And when I think about me being pissed off, it took me a long time before I actually felt freedom that I could actually be pissed with God. And when I was thinking about that, it's because the human experience, we're funny. We usually only like to feel and express happiness. And we sometimes don't know what to do with anger, sadness, or fear. But the reality is, as human beings, all of us, all of us, doesn't matter who you are, gay, straight, bi, different race, doesn't matter. We all feel happiness, anger, sadness, and fear. But the problem is we get detached. So when I was in Australia, I'll never forget, I was in my mid-20s, and I came home one day, and I was I had talking to my roommates, and I was like, guys, I'm feeling this, this thing. And so I started to describe what I was feeling, and it was heavy, and it was hard. And instead of being met with compassion, they all looked at me and started laughing. And they go, Laura, that's called being insecure. <laughs> you know, I was like, is that what that feels like? And the reality is, I spent so much of my life being so emotionally detached. It's not that I didn't have insecurity. I had just never felt it. And that's called coping mechanisms, right? And coping mechanisms, they exist for a reason. They help get you to a certain place. But what someone once told me is that all coping mechanisms have expiry dates. And so I think step one to being vulnerable is the ability to be able to feel emotion, to be able to lay down coping mechanisms, to be able to be authentic about what we're feeling, to embrace, to bring self-acceptance to our fears and our anger and our sadness so that we are able to share that with others. And then if you keep reading in Psalm 22, David is really hurt. So in verse 7 and 8, it says, but I am worn, I'm sorry, but I am a warm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of the dog. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. That's a lot of hurt. I think David's having a rough day. Um, but when I look at that... You know, for the longest time, because I was so good at performing and I was so good at earning people's approval and I was so good at earning people's love and acceptance and earning my worth through performance, I didn't know how to share my hurt. And sometimes that translates in the church, like Corey was suggesting, and it's really tragic when the church becomes a museum for saints rather than a hospital for the sick. And I grew up in Texas and I grew up in the Bible Belt where we were constantly competing with who could write in our Bibles the most and memorize the most scripture and who read the best commentary and, oh, you only read NIV, well, I'm ESV. And it's like, what are we doing? And I remember a couple years ago, I was sitting in church hearing this basic message that was kind of nice too about how as Christians we're called to love people. And I remember I looked around in this church and I was like, this is the last place I would ever tell anybody that I think I'm gay. And I was like, this is actually the last place I would ever tell anybody that I'm addicted or that I'm an alcoholic or that I cheated on my partner or that I'm struggling at all because everyone in here is performing for God's love and nobody wants to actually be honest about where they're at. And I look at David and he learned to invite God into his pain and to his anger. And because of that, I believe that is why he was secure. 
So that's the last point I want to talk about in Psalm 22. He starts off this message. He's pissed. He's hurting. But he finishes by being able to declare security in God. So in verse 19, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. For he has not despised or scorned the sufferings of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And that is where I'm always trying to strive to be. David was able to be pissed off. He was able to be vulnerable because he had found security, God, in such a way that he felt freedom to be able to express himself. And I wish that I could say that I learned this overnight, but honestly, one of the most authentic prayers I've ever prayed in my life was when I was struggling through my sexuality and I was pissed off and I was hurt because I had tried everything. I tried everything to not be gay, everything. And I was so angry because I was like, I didn't ask for this since I was young. I just wanted to like do things for you. And now I'm gay and now I feel disqualified and I don't know how to fix it. And so I'm going to trust and I'm going to wait on you. And as I was waiting for God, he didn't seem to be anywhere. And I was pissed. And true fact, the first F-bomb I ever said in my entire life was in a prayer to the Lord, straight up. Because it was two years into it. I'm literally debilitated by my shame. And I just remember asking God, where the F are you? Where the F are you? I cannot fix me. So why do I have to carry all this stuff? And in my frustration, I was so angry. I said, God, I don't understand how you are good in this situation, but that means that your goodness must be so much greater because it's so outside my understanding. And that means that your sovereignty, like I don't understand it, how you were sovereign in this situation, but that means it must be so much greater because it's outside of my understanding. And I don't know how I'm going to find healing from this shame and all the just hatred I feel in my heart, but that means that your healing is so much greater because it's outside of my understanding. And one by one, I started to name off these attributes of God and how I didn't see him in my mess, and I didn't understand where he was going to come in. But you know what? The best thing happened in that prayer, because it realized that my view of God got expanded through my pain, not diminished. And I now serve a God that's way bigger because I got honest with where I was at. So I want to remind us on that last verse. This is the thing that really stuck with me, and I'm going, to, I'm going to close with this. On the last verse, it says, All the ends of the earth will remember him and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And I don't know, for whatever reason, that sentence, for dominion belongs to the Lord, encouraged the mess out of me this week. Because it was my reminder that as a Christian, we are lucky because at all times, we can have hope. At all times, because we believe that God is always bigger than any circumstance we go through, through any pain that we feel, through any deficiency we might feel like we have. And that is incredibly, incredibly encouraging, that God is greater than everything that you've ever been through. And so I want to share a story. When I was in Australia, I was lucky enough to have free counseling at the school that I went to, and I was even more fortunate that they found a psychologist who specialized in attachment theory to help me out. So fun fact, I'm adopted, and I grew up in a household where the dynamic kind of messed up my attachment style. And for the longest time, I was incapable of being able to form healthy attachment with people. 
And I remember my counselor looked at me and she said, Laura, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm pretty sure you have disorganized attachment. And most people say that it can be fixed, but not really. However, we believe in a God that brings healing and we believe in a God that can bring redemption. But for you to find healing, for you to be able to attach yourself securely to other people, you are going to have to find security in God in a way that you didn't find from other people. And I remember when she told me that, I was so defeated because I think that is so easy in theory and yet so hard in practice. But I am so thankful for that time because it began my journey of learning how to, okay, God, how can I genuinely and not performing and not faking and not just like in theory, but actually find security with you. And I remember as I started to actually genuinely be honest about where I met, that's where I found it. That's where I found it. And that's why I always say being gay went from being the worst thing that could have happened to me to being the best. Because for the longest time, being gay was the worst thing that I could have done. And it was my greatest fear. And I'll never forget as I was stepping into God's acceptance of me, stepping into God's love for me as a, as a queer woman, God was like, Laura, how lucky are you? You got to experience your worst day. And on your worst day, you saw that I not only didn't, like, that not only did I did not just love you right now, but my love went even further than you could have imagined. And I saw that in my most broken state, I saw the faithfulness of God. Because while I was pissed off, I was doing nothing for him. And I yet saw he was kind to me. And I was just angry and dropping F-bombs and God was being generous to me. And I watched in that moment that, wow, like God actually loves me as is. That his grace was never built around my performance, never built around me trying to be this super Christian. But actually he loves me as is. And that's what I want to encourage everyone today, that we would dive into the Psalms. There's so much expression in Psalm. Find Psalms that are going to identify with whatever season that you're in and challenge your ability to be honest before God. Because I guarantee you, as we learn to live integrated with our emotions, we learn to be honest and vulnerable with our hurts and our shortcomings and where we're at, it's going to help find security in God. And like Corey mentions, as we find that security in God, it actually frees us to find security in other people. What I love about the authenticity of the Jesus story is that we need Friday to experience Sunday. That without crucifixion, without our darkest moment, whatever we think that is, without being able to say the thing that we never thought that we could say, without that moment of vulnerability, we don't really experience resurrection. That you need both. You need to go into the suffering that you never thought that you could go through. And then when you go through it, it's those wounds that reveal and renew and reclaim a different reality for you. And that's the hope that we always have in the Jesus story is that you need Friday to experience Sunday. I lived in a world where we just wanted to fly over Friday, right? We just wanted to get on a first-class plane and just get straight to Sunday, put some pastels on, and sing some praise and worship songs, my friend. And there's a time and a place for that. We need both the difficulty and the pain and the figuring out and the authenticity of Friday to experience the authenticity and the beauty and the joy and the hope of Sunday. But the way of Jesus is not a set of beliefs. It's not a set of beliefs in which we rearrange theological furniture inside of our heads, and if we could just believe the right things, then our life will be okay. The way of Jesus is a way of practice. 
The way of Jesus is Jesus is constantly asking us to follow him. That we are following Jesus because Jesus shows us the path to be human. That Jesus shows us a path where we can even go through our darkest valleys. That we can even go through seasons of crucifixion. And that through that, God meets us even when we thought that God couldn't be found. And that's where we experience resurrection. That's where we experience life. And so as we leave the series in Psalms, I want to think about three things. The first is practice. Would you practice being authentic with God? Would you even just start off? Maybe it's, you know, when you got up the courage to say the F-bomb to God. I love that when you can tell people today, what did you learn from church today, little Timmy? I learned to cuss at God. You know, you're going to be stronger for that. Uh, But seriously, maybe it's a moment where you learn to be honest in whatever your honesty is. Maybe it's that you have been holding things back. Because the beauty of Psalms is that you have Psalm 22. When you go to the last 20 Psalms, they're all about God's goodness and glory and praise. And there's a different kind of authenticity to it. You're not just singing it and gritting your teeth and raising your hands because you're supposed to, because I, I love you, God. No, you're doing it because God has been with you through every step of the way. And so practice authentic groaning and grieving and sadness. Don't be disconnected from those emotions so that you can practice healthy praise and worship and gratitude and thankfulness, that those things actually go hand in hand. That when you begin to practice it in your life, then would you live into community? That we are the company that we keep. And so are we going to surround ourselves with people who never are honest, who constantly just, you know, kind of have the smile on, but there's nothing real going on behind the scenes? Or are we going to surround ourselves, this is probably more true of a community like New Abbey, with people who are just angry all of the time? We're just going to constantly shit on the church. We're just going to constantly bag on everything in the world. Nothing's ever going to be good for us. You know, we're liberal this, progressive that. And I think that there's a time to burn down things. There's a time to question things. But if you continue to stay here, you're just going to live in a world of ashes. Eventually, there'll be nothing left to burn down. You eventually have to be around people who are willing to rebuild some things, who can honestly assess what's gone on in life. And now it's time to reconstruct. Now it's time to reclaim. Now it's time to say, hey, there's still some stuff here that works for my life. Hey, there's still a God here who cares about me. Hey, I still want relationship with Jesus. And I know this, if you're here at 1121 on a Sunday morning, it's because you still care about God. If not, you could be doing a lot of things in COVID right now. There's so much good Netflix that you could be watching right now. But you're here for a reason that you want to be surrounded with other people who can be authentic and honest in the bad and in the good. And the Psalms and the way of Jesus provide that for you. So would you practice that authenticity? Would you live in a community that lives into that authenticity? And I forgot my third point, but I'm pretty sure it's on the screen. Anybody remember? Discipline. Let's go. Discipline for me is a word that people generally struggle with because when we think of discipline, we think of a a kid getting put in time out. The word discipline comes from the word disciple, which just means student. Would you be a good student of this way of Jesus? Which for me is this, would you be a good student of your humanity? Would you learn well from yourself? Would you learn how you tick? Would you learn from the ways that you carry sadness and anger and fear and frustration? And as you're a good student of yourself, as you go to therapy, as you are a part of an honest and healthy, authentic community, 
Then you'll become a good student of your joys and what makes you happy and what makes you healthy. And then when you're a good student of all of that, then you have something to teach and to offer others as well. Jesus, the scriptures, Christian tradition, they still have something to teach us. They are beautifully authentic. They make a path for all of humanity. My hope for all of us throughout this series is that we can be more honest with God, that we can be more honest with ourselves, and in doing so, we can create a bigger story of God by being honest with the world about a God who loves us, who cares for us, and can hold all of our complexity. We're gonna send you back into those groups and we have this question for you to finish with today. How can you practice authenticity with God? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.